It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, September the 25th. I hope all is well. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you use. We're pretty much out there. Hope everybody's having a great Sunday. And it is, uh, for lack of a better word... The final countdown, the final week of the regular season, and uh, we have as many questions as we've had pretty much any other week this year. Where are the Mets going to be? We know it's going to be a playing game for the wild card as the Washington Nationals clinched the division last night. And uh, it's a somber day here for Major League Baseball with the news of Jose Fernandez, uh, his passing tragic accident, which like it or not, appropriate or not, is going to play into the pennant races. The Mets are going into Miami tomorrow. Um, so it's going to be an interesting week. And and later on in, in just a bit, I'm going to have Joe Trezza. Joe has uh, been on the program before. Joe is a reporter at MLB.com. You can check him out at Joe Trez on Twitter. I don't know what to make of the Mets right now because – there's been some really fun moments the past week. And look, they've had one of the best records in baseball. The stat came up since about August 20th. I think only the Red Sox have had a better record. Now, granted, the competition has, has, has certainly been uh, – I mean, I think every team but Washington has been under 500, And they played pretty well against Washington. They didn't just roll over. And, and I think they could compete in a short series with Washington. But – I look at the week coming up, and right now, as this podcast is being recorded, the Giants are tied with San Diego. St. Louis is playing Chicago later tonight on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Let's assume things play out with the Giants winning, with the Cardinals winning. At the you know the Mets are going to go into this week uh, pretty much worst case scenario tied. Maybe there'll be a game up on either St. Louis or San Francisco. Lately, neither of those teams have cooperated where they've been losing, um, you know, both at the same time and the Mets taking the lead. So, you know, right now it looks like it's going to go down the stretch to the finish line. And it probably will take every bit, every regular season game to get this thing done. With the news that you're probably not going to have bats, you don't have DeGrom, you haven't had Harvey in a while. Syndergaard's got strep throat. I know he had a bad start this week. And what really drives me crazy is every time one of these young pitchers has a bad start, the hysteria in the media, oh, is he is he hurt? Oh, how are they going to make it in the playoffs with Syndergaard having a bad start? Is he going to be able to rebound? I mean, guys, he's going to have bad starts. Doc Gooden had bad starts even in his Cy Young year of, of 1985. If he's healthy and he's executing, there's a good shot he's going to be nowhere Syndergaard. But right now you're looking at they, – they've, they've cleared away with the fifth-man situation – I mean, you got to the point with Sean Gilmartin that you're on pitcher number 12, and it wasn't that long ago that I told everybody that, you know, when the Mets had six pitchers, they were pitching the rotation. I said, the Mets are a healthy team. When you're only pitching with six pitchers, you're pretty healthy. And all of a sudden, you saw you need 10, eight to 10 pitchers to get through a season. This year, they need 10, 12 starting pitchers. But I don't know how to feel because I look at the schedule, and I'm going to give you a. Uh, uh, a synopsis. I mean, the the Cardinals are playing the Reds. The Giants have a series against the Dodgers, I believe. I'm looking at the schedule right right here. The yeah, so the 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 no, the Giants are playing the Rockies. So the Giants are playing the Rockies. The Cardinals are playing the Reds, and then to wrap up the season, the Giants and Dodgers play, so I had it wrong. And then the Cardinals end up the season against the Pirates. I don't know. I don't know how much juice the the Pirates and the Reds are going to have left next week. The Dodgers could be a menace, certainly in those last three games. I, I think they they take some pleasure in beating the Giants. There always seems to be something there. The Reds. I mean, you saw the Reds. I don't know how they're going to. I know maybe they'll get up for a contender in their own division, but they were dead as a doornail when the Mets went out there after Labor Day. The Mets are going to have to win a lot of games on this road trip. They're going to have to win at least four of six, maybe five, to get in this. And I said last week that 90 wins would have guaranteed you a playoff spot for sure and a home game. Four of six, which puts you at 87 and 75, I'm not sure. 
I'm really not sure. And I got to tell you guys, you saw again, and I don't want to make this show about it because every week I could do this. Every week of the season I could do this. A Terry Collins put on a clinic the other day against the Braves of bad managing between taking Addison Reed out for Josh Smoker, who was, I mean, this is a guy that wasn't even a thought a month or so ago. You wouldn't have thought of doing that because he played lefty-lefty with Freddie Freeman. Uh, bringing in even Reed a little bit earlier than the eighth inning. Uh, Pinching Kevin Plowecki to play lefty-righty. I mean, that was just an awful situation. I mean, classic poor managing by Terry Collins. And I'm going to get into the whole, I know everybody's been complaining about the 40-man roster scenario. I mean, to me, you don't complain about the rules. You complain about the stupidity you have of, of the managers who are playing under the rules. But my concern right now with the Mets going to the final week is I don't know if Terry Collins is going to be the guy that's – he's going to choke. I'm not worried about Cespedes choking. I'm not worried about Granderson choking. I'm, I'm not worried about Cabrera or, or, or Reyes not getting it done. I'm worried about the manager choking because he choked the other night against the Braves. And the Mets right now, you know, at the beginning of the year, this is a completely different scenario. I think it's a team that could be pesky. I do not think it's a team that could win a championship right now because I just think you're, you're missing the pitchers that I feel can elevate their game and match an Arietta or Lester like last year and outpitch those guys in a playoff series. You can make the playoffs. It can be pesky. But I think ultimately there's just, they're going to fall short because they're missing the guys, that, the, the foundation that this team is built on. And you got to win like the 2016 did right now. In, in the beginning of the year, you basically were getting six to seven really good innings out of everybody but Harvey. You had to maybe mix and match the seventh inning with the Blevins. You had Bistardo at that point, Robles, whatever. And then you had the lockdown eighth and ninth with Addison Reed and Jerry's Familia. That is a pretty easy game to manage. You know, here and there, you saw pinch running faux pas, uh, faux pas I should say, by, by Collins. Uh, you can maybe make a little bit out about the bunting at times. I mean, these are things – the bullpen is really the meat and potatoes of managing. you got three things the manager is there for. Manage a clean clubhouse, manage the media, which kind of ties into the clubhouse, and manage a bullpen. All the other stuff – I mean, it's, baseball is not complicated, guys, really. It's, it's just not. So you had that scenario earlier in the year. Now you've got a situation where maybe you get five, six innings out of your starters – now you know you have the eighth with Reed and the ninth with Familia, but now it's a little different. You got Smoker available to you. You've got Blevins for the lefty righty matchup. You've got Fernando Salas, who uh, haven't seen enough of him to know how how I feel about him as a crossover. But you know he's been a closer before, so you really have your seventh, eighth, and ninth. In a lot of ways, think back to the 2006 bats. You had Bradford and Feliciano, who were your lefty righty specialist. So you have your lefty. You really don't have your righty specialist because, believe it or not, Robles is far better against lefties than he is against righties. But you have Salas for the seventh, like you had Moda. You have Heilman back in 2006. You got Reed for the eighth. You had Wagner in the ninth in 2006, and you have uh, Familia now. The offense, of course, in 2006 was better. But you know what? This offense now, that it started to get healthy, if you could replace Loney with Duda. I mean, T.J. Rivera is a nice little component player. I know you haven't seen a lot of him. Maybe you could ride you – know, look, go back to a guy named Lance Johnson. You don't have to – I know the process situation, and I understand what a lot of uh, metric-oriented fans are saying about how can you get a guy who doesn't walk when I mean, he's going to come back down to earth. He's got one walk in 85 plate appearances. His, his batting average is higher than his on-base percentage. Well, I mean, give me a guy who hits 300, makes contact, gets on base, drives, and runs. I mean, you don't have to, I mean, sometimes walks and the passiveness of the plate are a bad thing. We've seen that. We've had that dialogue and conversation. You got TJ Rivera, who's a nice component player at second base. Estrubal Cabrera is playing like an all star at shortstop right now. You've got Cespedes and, you know, doing what he does. Granderson, he's still, I mean, this in September, he's got an OPS over 900. He's not hitting for average, but he's driving in runs and hitting home runs. That's what he did with the Yankees. That's really the player he is. 
And then you got to figure out, do you go with uh, Granderson in center and you know you compromised on defense, but maybe you take him out in the seventh inning and you've got Bruce and right. I mean, Bruce had a nice game. He had a pinch at home run yesterday. You know what Bruce has done over almost an eight-year career. Is this a New York thing? Is it the transition? Is there a slump? There's a lot. This is not a terrible lineup. I think it's a lineup prone to brownouts. You have a couple of bad spots in the order, especially because I think Rene Rivera should be the everyday catcher now because I think he's better behind the plate and managing the staff. I think Darno is, 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 has been useless this year, and I question how much value he has going forward. I mean, Jose Reyes, I mean, I didn't even get into Reyes, who, what he has provided at the top of the order. I think they can score runs. I think the back end of the bullpen's pretty good. Starting pitching, I mean, if you look at Syndergaard, Colon, Gazelman, and then you put Lugo as your, as your fourth starter going into the playoffs, going into this week, it's not horrible. I mean, we, again, I know we don't know exactly what Gazelman and Lugo are, but now they've gone around for a while here, and it's not like all of a sudden the, 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 the pixie dust is coming off. These guys, by all accounts of the organization, these guys were arms that were impressive in the minor leagues. So to me, you have a, something here for a team that should make the playoffs, has, is going to have a rough week ahead. Miami is a situation that is, is fluid. It could go either way. Keith Hernandez said this. I said this this morning after I heard the news about Jose Fernandez. That team could be dead as a doornail, and the Mets could roll right over them in three games. Or that team could be fired up and play the best three games they played all year, play out of their minds, and really do some hurting on the Mets and put them in a bad spot. The Phillies, their bullpen's atrocious. That's kerosene on the fire 101. It might be one of the worst bullpens I've seen in a long time. But you're, you're going into Philadelphia. Brian Howard's last weekend with the team. Band box. I mean, you know that the, the, the fans in Philly are not exactly uh, pro-New York. You know, they're not going to sit around and just say, uh, yeah, let's let the Mets come in and, and celebrate on uh, Citizens. I mean, that would be fun. I don't know how I really feel about celebrating a play-in game. It's not like winning the division. You almost are just celebrating a chance to play to get into the playoffs. So uh, whatever, that's a... That's a separate conversation. So you have an interesting week ahead. You have to change the way that the team – the team has changed in season the foundation of which it's built, which is strong starting pitching to pretty good starting pitching, bullpen-oriented, offensive more uh, reliant, believe it or not, after having such a horrible year offensively. But because it's now more – bullpen reliant, that means you have to be smarter as a manager. And they don't have a manager that has ever shown in good years and bad that he's able to be resourceful and manage the bullpen appropriately. I mean, let's, this is not me harping on Terry Collins. This is me being flat out honest with six years of information in front of me, with game four of the World Series still sits in my craw, with just days ago a scenario where he 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 choked and he and he and he moved the de- uh, the the deck chairs around in a way that just was bizarre when it came to managing the bullpen. There's no more. Hey, I'm just gonna play every lefty righty matchup because that's the easy and the safe thing. You got to be smart. You've got to keep guys in the roles. You've got to go to your horses. You don't want to lose this this opportunity because Josh Schmoker couldn't get things done. You don't want to lose this opportunity because you decided to get cute. And, and pinch it because Kevin Ploiecki was one for two against somebody. You know who your players are. All due respect, guys, you know, the only one that's come up that right now deserves some serious time is T.J. Rivera. Because he's shown he's got a bat. He, he, let's play the hot hand with that. The rest of these guys are backups. They're pinch hitters, pinch runners. Let's be fair. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, maybe you could say Smoker because he's lefty, even though his numbers against lefties aren't great, uh, could be the one guy. But the rest of these guys are filler. They're, they're not options for the playoff roster. And right now, this week, the playoffs is here. You're playing playoff games. You might have looked like a slow-pitch softball today. It might have smelled like spring training. It wasn't. So where I have a problem feeling that, that at this time next week, and later on I'll kind of get into what I'm going to do with the show, that we're, we're going to be all sitting here talking about or preparing for a playing game either at City Field or out in the West Coast or in St. Louis, I feel that I'm going to be sitting here saying they blew it. 
And I almost feel like I'm going to be sitting here saying they blew it because Terry Collins did something really dumb. And that has nothing to do with the 40-man roster. Are some of these games tough to take? Guys, I'm watching them right there with you. There are some days I'm sitting there at 930. It's in the sixth inning. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Have mercy. And I love baseball. I love it. I mean, I could probably watch uh, uh, you know, some kind of sitcom, come back, and it'll be the fourth inning so I could get to the meat and potatoes of really what the game is about. Not that I'm doing that, but you get the point. And I hear a lot of individuals in the media and on Twitter and the fans all kind of getting up in arms here. But here's the thing. I, I have a couple of articles here. I was trying to read what some people are saying. And, you know, it's not a secret that the games get longer in September, that the managers have started to to really maximize this 40-man roster. I went back, I looked at like 1988. I mean, maybe guys would bring up five, six players. They wouldn't even, I was looking at some transactions from 1988. The Mets wouldn't even bring up all their, their 40-man guys on September 1st. I don't know, maybe the minor league season was a little bit longer. They would wait throughout the the month, and then they would increase it as the month went on, probably because Tidewater was over. But you only would really reward those that had some good seasons or some guys that you really want to take a look at, maybe somebody, a veteran that you want to say, hey, I think one year they brought up Tommy O'Malley in September, a veteran who had a really good year at Tidewater, wound up making the team the year after. So it's not crazy now where you're bringing up some prospects, you're bringing up – there's a lot of specialization now. It's almost like football. I mean, that dugout, it's like, it's like a football sideline now. But the answer is not to stop the 40 men. I thought that some of the things – I was reading a Bleach Report article, and I want to give credit where credit is due here. So uh, just forgive me here for a minute. Um, there was an article on Sports on Earth, and I'm trying to find the author's name, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give it to you before the, the show is up because it's, it's important for me to do that kind of stuff. I don't – like stealings, but an article beginning of the month back in late August, early September, about maybe here's the here's the solution. Just have an active roster, just like the NBA. The, there's only 12 guys active. You have 15 guys on the roster. Here, the author suggests that you have a 22 man active roster, and you say, well, why 22 instead of 25? Well, because you got starting pitchers. So even when you have a 25 man roster during the season, you really only have a 21 man roster because you got four starters that are not going to get into the game. And if one of those starters gets into the game, then it really throws a monkey wrench into the rest of your rotation for that short period of time. So you always play with 21. Play with 11-man bullpen, 10, really 10 offensive players. Uh, really, when it comes down, you only have a couple of pinch hitters when you really think about it because you have these 11-man bullpens. you got the eight guys on the field. So you get the you, – you do the math. You get – you get the uh, you get the gist. I I like that idea. I would go one step further. Say, hey, make twenty five active at any given time throughout the season, and then you could forget the whole DL up, down, left, right. September, you have the ability for there to be more people in the clubhouse, so you could say you could have up to forty people in the clubhouse, but you still have the same twenty five active. So here's what you do now in September. There's no need for these guys to be down in the minor leagues because the seasons are over. You could deactivate your other four starting pitchers. And I know there was one point made, well, what you know, what if like a Madison Bumgarner wants to pitch it? Well, if you want to keep Madison Bumgarner active because you like his bat, so be it. But even the best hitting pitcher, to me, is not as good as the, the better uh, bench players out there. So I think that's the solution. Look, I don't want to change the... 40-man roster and the expansion rosters, it's part of the fabric of the history of baseball. You get to see some young kids in a semi, depending on where you are in the standing, spring training environment with games that count. And it also keeps you engaged as a fan because if you're out of the race, remember a couple of years ago the Mets were out of the race, you want to see Dilson Herrera get some at-bats. You want to see some of the kids get up or pitchers come up and make start you don't want to just you know you don't, you don't want to feel like you can't do that because of uh the fact that the managers are the ones abusing it see the thing that boggles my mind it goes mind it goes back to terry collins is that 
How can you play the game one way up until September 1st and then just specialize it to death? You're throwing everything off. You have Just because you have a, a more lefty relievers doesn't mean you have to go lefty-righty in the fifth inning. It's almost like there's like a guilt. Well, if I don't do this, I'm going to get criticized. Or you know, I have, I have to play lefty-righty because, yeah, naturally, listen, lefty hitters are always going to be uh, – always going to fare worse against lefty pitchers. I'm a left-handed thrower. That doesn't mean you put me up against Freddie Freeman. That's a better option than Fernando Salas out there. I can't pitch. There are reasons why some of these guys are not in the big leagues up until September. They're not as good as the other 25 guys. So to me, to legislate against bad managing, and it's all it's not just Terry Collins. It's all throughout the game, but he has been, my Lord. I, I've been amazed. I'm not saying that I could go in there and get the respect of 25 men. I know Terry Collins could do that better than I because of who he is and the standing in the game. But, but, but good Lord, I can manage a better bullpen. I could do it from my house. Just give me the information. Who's healthy? Who can't go? Who has it? I mean, it's, this is hard, but it's not that hard. And I am afraid that when you go into this week, I don't think you're going to see a lot of L's from the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't think you're going to see a lot of L's. From the San Francisco Giants, you're going to have to win. You may have to win out. You may have to go into a couple of games where your starter's only going to give you five innings. And there's going to be tough managerial decisions. And this ain't the guy that you have faith in. And I hate to say it, guys. You know, you all keep you know, sitting here telling me what a great job he's done. He hasn't. He hasn't. And, the, I mean, maybe you need somebody there to manage the bullpen, and he could be the like the head – the head coach and is an off. I've always said there should be an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, you know, that kind of setup in baseball. Cause these, these managers don't know what the hell they're doing, but that's the deal. The deal is this, is that the Mets had an opportunity this week and that sweep of the Braves, they're going to really kick themselves. They're going to kick themselves about the NCRT game. And I love how everybody went to NCRT and it was a great catch. And I'm really still not sure I would have won the game because it would have went off the wall. And they probably would have had, Two runners score. That's not why they lost that game. That game was lost innings earlier with bad bullpen management. And I'm afraid you're going to see that this week. And you don't know what you're going to ha- what's going to happen to Miami. And I'll tell you why. Don't take Philadelphia for granted. They stink. The starting pitching is is bad. The bullpen is bad. But they're at home. I don't know what the crowds are going to be. There'll be Mets fans certainly down there. But you've seen this this story before, and it's going to take. A team that's focused, that plays fundamentally good baseball, and a manager that makes the right moves and doesn't turn this into a three-ring circus. And some of these games have been managed like a three-ring circus. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, Joe Trezza, MLB.com. I'll get his thoughts on a lot of uh, what's going on with this wild card race. Get you a little update on the Giants game. Of course, by the time you're listening to this, the game will probably be over, but give you kind of a real-time feel of what's going on here. And uh, and we'll uh, we'll continue on our way. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host Mike Silva. Check out the show all the time at on MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and get the show on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and any podcasting service you desire. We'll be right back. Reyes does have seven home runs in short order as a Met. Here's a pitch. Swing and a drive. Deep to right field. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tie game. Jose Reyes ties the game with a two-run homer. Reyes connects, and it's 6-6 six six from the bottom of the ninth. And now the Mets have the tie runs on base with a Struble Cabrera coming up. And Cabrera hits it in a deep right field. Back goes Borges near the wall. It's out of here. Pitch, breaking ball, hit deep to right field. Borges going back at the track, at the wall. He did it, he did it. Home run as Rubel Cabrera put it in the box. Going across, lleva Colón, lleva Mets podcast, and I have with me, uh, he joined us earlier in the year. You could check him out on Twitter, at Joe Trez. Uh, his work is at MLB.com. It's Joe Trez. Joe, 
Mike Silva, uh, final week of the season. Uh, how you doing? What's going on, my friend? Doing well. Can't believe. Uh, can't believe it's almost over. And and this has been a painful month, Joe, to watch. I mean, to cover games. Jeez, you watching at home? You just click the TV off. You could, if the game gets out of hand, you could go watch something else. The game is over. You could go right to bed if you want to. You're out there covering ball games. Uh, what is your thoughts about uh, the change? I mean, a lot of these games have now become almost like NFL games with like specialists all over the place. So give me your thoughts about how you've, uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism of the 40-man roster and what it's become. I blame the managers more than the 40-man the roster. But as a reporter who covers these games, what are your thoughts? Well, well don't make it out like, like it's, some, it's some chore because, you know, for me it's, it's not. And, um, you know, I actually think that, September baseball is the only thing that's that's even close to as exciting as October baseball, um, and in a lot of ways it is. We've seen lately with the dramatic finishes, um, some of the best games happen this time of year, no matter you know, what division it is, what, what league it is. So, um, I, I you know I still think that the games are enjoyable, but I I do understand what you're asking and what you're saying um, in terms of all the pieces that managers have to kind of play with and kind of. Um, it seems like the more the more options they have, the, the easier it is to kind of screw everything up a little bit because they just um, they kind of have too many options. You know, as in life, sometimes I feel like you you make a better decision when you have two choices, not eight. So <laughs> that's um, a good point, <laughs> right? And I just feel like with these you know with these pitchers uh, with with rosters expanding and and every manager having twelve options in, in the bullpen every night, it's almost like well, you know, maybe maybe I'll get killed if I if I don't use someone here that's kind of an obvious choice, and whether it is the fifth inning or the fourth inning or whatever. Now we're seeing matchups um, kind of begin at this ungodly rate, like in the third and fourth inning sometimes. But I also can't blame a manager when he has a spot starter, you know, pitching the most important game of the year, as Terry Collins has had now, um, how many nights, you know, of, you know um, within the last three weeks, whether it's Gilmartin or Montero against the Nationals or things like that. So these games can't they, – they can't let them unravel too quickly and too early. And then it seems like these managers kind of, um, you know, they, they play themselves into these corners where they have to make these moves. Uh, that said, I think it's pretty pretty obvious around the league that, that this, uh, the September call-ups, uh, the policies for them, they, they do need some polishing. Um, they may be a bit antiquated. Uh, it's it's no longer, you know, I, I heard, well, I know that when when the, the, the rules were first made, it was uh, an opportunity to get minor league guys, you know, a taste of major league baseball or whatever it is. And, and that might have worked for a long time. But now it's so much more than that with the way guys are shuffled up and down you know, throughout the entire season. And um, now it's more of a, you know, it's, it, you have these lopsided rosters with some, the Mets have 39, 40 players now, I think, 40 players. And, um, that's not un, that's not common, but it's not uncommon. And they're also playing against some teams with, you know, with 29. So it just doesn't make a lot of, it doesn't make a lot of sense the way that it's structured and um, end up having these players from a fan's perspective that you really don't know anything about um, kind of deciding these vital games. And usually, you know, in the past, it was maybe one or two of these players, three or four. Now it's like five or six or seven. You saw last night with the comeback, the, the comeback of the Mets almost completed. It was basically the Vegas roster that was playing, which was actually really cool, but um, it, it is kind of strange. Absolutely, and you have a good take. You know, that's a fair point. You, you know, you could look at it two ways. You could look at these as three-and-a-half-hour drudgery um, and you said, hey, these some of these are the most exciting games of the year outside of October baseball. Look, Mets fans remember the Terry Pendleton home run almost as much as in 1987, as much as any other uh, heartbreaking postseason or great postseason uh, matchup. You know, A.J. Casavell of Sports on Earth back at the beginning of the month suggested, and I actually don't think they should stop the 40-man expansion. What I think they should do, and he, he suggests just having 22 active players. And you say, why 22, not 25? Because during the regular season, you really only have 21 active because there's four starting pitchers. Do what the NBA does, 25 active on any given night. Forget about – you have the DL. That could be more for 40-man roster management. Um, you know, in, in the 
you know, the regular part of the year, you're not just going to grab guys from Vegas to be on a taxi squad and shift them in and out. It's, that's just not going to happen. It's, it's, it's not realistic because you want those guys to get at-bats. But in September, you could have 40 guys in the clubhouse after September 1st. You could only have, let's say, 25 active or 30 active. Then everybody's on an even playing field, and you still get those extra five guys so that teams like that are out of contention, like, for example, this year Milwaukee, they could still showcase some of the minor leaguers. I think that's the direction it should go, not eliminate it because managers have decided to find the uh, inefficiency, I guess, in the rule. That's, that's the way baseball is now. It's about finding the inefficiency in things. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, that AJ made, made a really good point when he wrote that. He's been um, he actually is on the uh, on the Padres beat this year for us at MLB.com and uh, doing a great job with them. So um, that is a is a really great idea. I've heard it from a, a bunch of different people, and a lot of people um, actually bring up uh, the similarities with the rules in hockey, which I'm not completely familiar with. But um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's a certain number of players that can dress every night, and then a certain number of players that are active every night, and those are two different statuses. Um, you know, that you have in your roster, and they could change daily. So, you know, if a minor leaguer comes up for, uh, you know, for more to be like a, a backup if some, in case somebody gets hurt, for one day he can be active the next day or, or something like that, and they can rotate names in and out. Um, I, I think baseball would, would benefit from that probably. I, I do think it would have to be less than 25 men or fewer than 25 men because, like you said, then, um, then the teams are just going to, you know, they they basically don't have those active players anyway with the starters because four of them are going to be resting. So, yeah, I think I, I like that idea a lot. Twenty-two players or or whatever the number is, but it's fewer than twenty-five. Um, that said, I still think that if that happened, managers and and general managers would find a way to kind of gain an advantage um, within those guidelines, which is you know in their competitive rights and, and natures and duties. Um, so I, I don't know if it's a the one one-stop fix kind of problem, but um, I think that would kind of push it in the, in the right direction, yeah. I have with me Joe Trezza of MLB.com, at Joe Trez on uh, Twitter. Joe, let's get to the final week here. Uh, actually, the Padres, as we record this podcast, the Padres just went ahead of the Giants. You know, The Cardinals are playing the Cubs later tonight. Possible the Mets will be a game up in the lost column on both the Giants and the Cardinals, but these days it, it, this thing changes. It's very fluid. I think the Mets have a tough week ahead. I think that they missed an opportunity on this homestand with the, with the Braves sweeping them to put a little cushion. Um, unfortunately, due to the Jose Fernandez situation, the unfortunate tragic death of Jose Fernandez, this Miami series now is kind of a, a wild card. It was going to be a tough series no matter what. Wild card, no pun intended. But it could go, and Keith Hernandez said this, but I was thinking about this this morning. It could go either way. That could be a dead-as-a-doornail team that's still grieving but well, that could be a team that's going to use this unfortunate event as a way to get over the grief and play really well. And then you go into Philadelphia, and the Phillies are not going to necessarily want the Mets to celebrate a wild card berth on their field, nor their fans. So I got to tell you, seeing the Cardinals play the Reds, the Giants have some games against the Rockies. I know the Dodgers play the Giants later in the in the week, but the Cardinals play the Pirates. I, I just get a bad feeling. Um that this is going to be a lot tougher than people think, especially because they're looking at the Phillies and the Marlins. They're saying, eh, those are second division clubs. Yeah, and I don't think the Mets are necessarily going to be looking at the schedules of the other teams and saying, oh, well, the Giants are playing the Rockies, uh, you know, the, the, the Cardinals are, are, are playing, you know, this, this inferior team, and then it's going to be easier on us. Um, I think that especially a team led by Terry Collins is going to look at and focus on what they can control, and that's beating the Marlins and the Phillies. And lucky for them, um, luckily for them, those are two teams that they know well. And I, I would agree with you that um, it's kind of hard to predict the way the Marlins are going to be, um, kind of understandably so. Um, and also how the Mets are going to be once they're down there because um, they are kind of in this unique, eerie kind of, really terrible situation where they now have to basically travel down to this to, to Miami where there's all this grief and rightfully so and all this shock and all this horror and now they're kind of gonna be more of a part of it than um than they than they probably were gonna be otherwise. 
Um, so that's going to be interesting how they rebound psychologically from that, and definitely interesting how the Marlins do it. Um, but at the same time, these are these are two teams that they know well, and you know, a missed opportunity this week maybe, um, but under some some serious circumstances uh, with with that catch the other night that Ender and Ciarte made and and things like that. I think that overall, could they have beaten? Could they have gotten a, a few wins against the Braves? Yeah. They have to drop the game against the, the Phillies, no. But but they fought this weekend uh, more than really we've seen from this team all season. I think um, not even just this weekend, but but this week uh, they fought back time and time again after having what was it just a handful of, of late inning comebacks. And you know if you break it down after certain innings, sometimes no no comebacks. But for this week, they never come back in the ninth inning all season. Um, and they really they, they showed a lot of uh, a lot of character this this particular week I think so I I actually kind of believe that they're on sort of an upswing and they may actually be playing their most cohesive uh, baseball of the season in terms of just how many guys are producing um, I'm talking about regulars and I'm talking about Grandison now in the middle of the lineup who you can actually count on a little bit for the first time all year. Um, Cespedes being Cespedes, and there not be any questions about his health, and Cabrera being this revelation, and Reyes, um, you know, coming through in, in big spots um, and not looking at all like the shell of a player that we were kind of told he was going to be. Um, so, I, I actually think they're going to be really confident going into this weekend, and I think that into this week, and I think that they're going to um, focus on what they can control, and, uh, and and see how the cards shake out from there. That's a great point. Ev with me, Joe Trezor from MLB.com. Interesting, I was looking at the way that the Mets have to win now. And within this season, they've had to do a bit of a shift. The beginning of the year, you were pretty much, with the exception of Matt Harvey, guaranteed six to seven innings of really good starting pitching. You had a lockdown eighth, a lockdown ninth. You had a mess around and mix and match maybe for one inning with the bullpen, with a Blevins and a Robles. And they were... Scoring three, four runs, which was enough to eke out a, a win, and, and certainly Familia was a big part of that. Now that's not the formula anymore. I, I almost liken this team to a little bit like the 2006 team, where you're going to get five, six innings out of your starters, except for Syndergaard. I mean, Cologne, I know, but I still look at him as a guy, once you get through two times in the order, you got to be on high alert. You're going to have to go to the bullpen maybe for um, you know nine to 12 outs versus what used to be just six to seven outs. And you're going to have to win with a little bit of offense. And it's interesting. They're only averaging four runs a game. They're one of the lower scoring teams in the league. But since August, with, like you said, Cespedes is healthy now. Uh, Reyes is in the lineup. Uh, you got Duda coming back. Granderson's now playing his Yankees role uh, down more in the middle of the lineup. I feel like they could win. I worry a lot about Terry Collins with the mixing and matching because he struggles a lot with that. But it's interesting how they – I don't think they could maybe win a series against the Cubs – but certainly with this formula, they have enough to be annoying, make the playoffs, and maybe make some lives uncomfortable. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I would agree with you in saying that it used to be a lot more formulaic than it is. Um, I think that one of the, the bigger, uh, more um, kind of broader qualities to this team now is that uh, there's less of a um, – there's less of a formula. There's there's less of a uh, of a of a plan with the way you know the game is going to uh, go if 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 they play it correctly. And really, they've had to abandon that um, not by their own choice. If if they if the Mets were had to choose, I think they would rather have Harvey and Degrom and and Syndergaard throwing uh, you know seven strong three three nights every week and then scratching out two or three runs and 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 crossing their fingers with that. But um, because of these injuries. Um, which have just decimated, as you know, the entire roster, basically. Um, I actually give Terry Collins a lot of credit for for the team being where it is now, and Sandy Robinson also for plugging those holes um, throughout the season very deftly um, and, and very kind of, uh, kind of under the radar with, with a lot of those moves, players who can kind of keep their heads above water. Um, but I, I, give, I give Terry more credit for keeping them and getting them to where they are without you know, 80% of the opening day roster or whatever it is in terms of starters and stars. And you can honestly even kind of include Travis Darno in that because he's been he's been so quiet and so silent offensively in particular. It's almost like he's not there sometimes. So um, 
I give him more credit for that than than I do get on him a lot for mismanaging um, or was perceived mismanaging in the middle innings because, um, you know, I, I like to think that if Dusty Baker uh, had lost Daniel Murphy this year and Bryce Harper for longer and, um, you know, and, and didn't have Trey Turner come up and had, you know, Ben Revere was a center fielder, if he hit 212 the whole year and, um, if he lost 80% of his roster, he'd probably be getting a little anxious in the middle innings too and and, and, and losing some games for them. So um, I don't think they'd be where they are now. So, um, But back to your original point about, about being less of a Formula 8 team, that's what kind of makes them a little more exciting actually from an objective perspective um, because if a team doesn't know where it's going to get contributions from every night, and not saying that there is no, there are no options. That just saying that there are a lot of different people who can contribute, um, and a team that's uh, that's capable of coming back in late innings and not, you know, if they give up a few runs in the first or second, and the game's not over like it was a lot of the time early last season when the Mets couldn't score. Um, that's actually an exciting team, and uh, offensively they're kind of a little more similar to now than the way they were. Last year at this time, I think more so than any other point of this season. Um, now that said, the back end of the bullpen has to start playing more of a, you know, start doing its job a little better um, and being one of the, those lockdown guys, especially reading Familia, this at this point in the season because um, this is when they need the, those guys most. If they get a lead late, um, they can't be. You can't just rely on the offense to come back spectacularly every night, even though they are capable of doing it sometimes. Absolutely. You know, you brought up Travis Darno. It's not crazy for me to say, I think, at this point, because now this is about performance. This isn't about back of the baseball card. It's about what's happening today. And it's not about next year either. It's about now. Rene Rivera very well should be the starting catcher going forward into the playoffs. They seem to, you know, he's, seen, he's and, and they were talking about this in the broadcast today. He's a little bit of a cheerleader behind the plate. He's always trying to keep these guys focused. You don't have experienced starters there. You have two young guys in Gazelman and Lugo that uh, you still don't know what you have there, and you're going to need them to start playoff games potentially. Uh, you know, Syndergaard in the running game is always a, a, a bit of a quagmire. And, I mean, Cologne is Cologne. I think he'll, he would be the same if, if you or I were able to catch him behind the plate. But I think you get the point. I don't think that's a crazy statement. I know the batting average stinks. I know he seems like an automatic out, but – when you compare them this year, not much of a difference between the two guys, even on the offensive side. And if you give me, uh, you know, the catch and throw guy, all things being equal, I take the catch and throw guy, and that's Rivera. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that's wild at all to uh, to, to bring up. Um, it, it's gone to the point now where where Darnell has been has been so quiet for so long. Um, the Mets are kind of perplexed as to why. Uh, I've talked to scouts who have varying theories, but it's overall generally a surprise um, that he's been this unproductive at the plate. And, and like Joe, you what said, are some of the theories? Kind of, does, any, does anybody know what's going on with him? Is he, is he unhealthy? And what have you heard is the theory? I hate to interrupt you, but it's such, it's just, it is perplexing. And I, heard, I was wondering if you had heard anything. Yeah, there's, there's, a, um, uh, there's a lack of bat speed that is very worrying to people um, around the league. And, and they're worrying because it's kind of disappeared in kind of in, in like the blink of an eye, kind of. Um, uh, there are some people who believe he might be hurt, um, but but a lot of it is mechanical more so than anything else. Um, people have have talked to me asking me why his he's altered his batting stance the way he has, why why his hands are drifting past his head uh, before he starts, why why he's you know why he's striding uh, so much and why he he can't recognize the slider things like that. So a lot of it is mechanical, um, a lot of those worries and concerns. And but if you know if you look at it, it it's kind of his entire approach. Um, uh, a lot of where he starts is problematic. A lot of his pitch selection is problematic, and um, you know he kind of doesn't always work his way into into great counts. So. Um, Look, the offensive numbers for him, I think, speak for themselves. And you like, like you said, the back of a baseball card. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, you can look at the back of his baseball card, and he's not, you know, he's not um, Buster Posey either. So it's not like you're sitting this offensive superstar. I know he showed a lot of promise in the last two seasons and came up, you know, big for them in some big spots. But 
Um, you know, this is a guy who's never played more than 100 games. Um, you know, he's never even hit over 270 with an OPS over 825. So, um, you know, that was his best year. Not elite. Uh, they were kind of hoping that he would evolve into more. Um, and right now he's kind of uh, regressed. But to your point about Rivera, I actually think he's kind of an underrated offensive piece because of the way that the, the composure that he shows actually in big spots. You know, he, he has driven some big runs in for this team. Um, and he's not going to hit 330 for you, but he's got 25 RBIs in 61 games for a backup catcher. That's that's not, really not bad. And um, he is an impact defender. Um, you know, he has a, a, very, a, a very above average the throw out rate to second base. He's an excellent blocker. He's very animated behind the plate in a way that he really controls um, that relationship between the pitcher and the catcher and the battery. Um, and if there's not really a bond there, it, it's kind of like a battery that doesn't work. Like the light won't, won't turn on. They won't completely be in sync. And he's got a really good repertoire, a really good rapport, I'm sorry, with with really all the all the starters, and that's that's a skill in itself because he didn't come into this team being best friends with everybody, but he has the ability to um, kind of connect with the pitchers that he's working with, and I think that is paying a lot of dividends. And I think it's quite obvious, um, and it has been ever since he he arrived on the scene in Queens. And I also think it's very obvious that Terry Collins has a lot more confidence in him now than he did maybe three months ago. Um, to the point where sometimes, you know, it's uncommon for him to start two times a week. And um, uh, I don't think it's crazy to believe that the Mets are a better team right now with him starting, especially if Syndergaard's on the mound because he can actually throw people out despite Syndergaard's um, very laborious um, uh, delivery. All right. Before I let you go, a couple of questions. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, by the way, I have Joe Treza uh, with me, MLB.com. Conforto or Bruce, who you go with down the stretch? <laughs> Conforto has been – his batting average stinks this month, 230. His OPS is over 800. He, he's walked more than he struck out. He's showing signs of coming out of it. And you gotta, I got to tell you, he shows me better process – than Bruce. I know the, the resume here, but process-wise, that's my two cents. You know what? Bruce also had a home run the other night, so he, maybe he's showing yep. signs yep. Of, of creeping out of it. Yeah, I know. That, that's huh. a look. That is a, it's it's a, mad, a maddening problem. It's going to be for Terry Collins. Uh, I actually think where they are now is also uh, it's more of a, even more of a testament to Terry when when you look at the big trade deadline accusation, you look at his batting average and it's 190 or whatever it is. Since you know He's just been uh, a complete bust for them so far when he was supposed to supply all this offense. So um, I, I actually don't think you can abandon Bruce just because uh, just because he's going to be on the team next year, <laughs> most likely. So, um, And I also don't think Conforto is an automatic upgrade at this point. Did he show flashes? Is he going the opposite way more? Yeah. Um, there's also been a few at-bats, and it had been a long, dark summer for him. Um, uh, you know, I frankly, I think it's a toss-up right now. Um, and, and the thing is, I don't know if anything they do in the next two or three days kind of answers that question. Um, I think I think Terry's going to play who's hot, honestly. I, I think he, he's going to throw his hands up with that at this point and just say, whoever can help me tonight, that's what I'm going to put in, and that's who's going to help us tonight. T.J. Rivera, the second baseman going forward? I actually think him and Gavin Keeney are going to have a pretty nice battle next year. Um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, in spring training, unfortunately for a guy like Rivera, he's kind of been this guy where where his whole career he's he's proved what he can do, and his whole career he's kind of always been automatically the second or third option, no matter what else. Because um, he's so not a high draft pick. Is, I mean, it's yeah. politics. You, you, you've been about baseball. You get that. It's politics when it comes down to it. I get that, and and I also I see a guy who hit you know 325 in his minor league career, over 2,000 at bats, or 2,000 plate appearances. Um, actually, it's closer to 2,500. So the guy can hit. Um, that said, <laughs> Gavin Kachini looks like he can hit too. Uh, sure. So, you know, I I also think T.J. Rivera is a Collins type guy. You know, I'm sure he kind of reminds him of himself a little bit, undersized, underappreciated, all that. Uh, chip on his shoulder, tough kid, 
you know, big spots. He can he can he can he can get a hit for you. He's not just an all or nothing guy. He's not a really a modern player. Um and I I do know that Terry kinda has a soft spot for him like that. But um you know, I I, I think he's he's been one of the saviors of this season, to be honest with you. Um I, I don't think they're gonna hand him a job next year. Uh he's gonna have to fight and claw for everything he gets in the big leagues. But um just the fact that he's here right now is a testament to how hard he can fight, and uh, I think it's, it's pretty impressive. Last question. So a week from today at 7.30, we're recording this podcast about 7.30 here on Sunday. I think all the games next week start at 3 o'clock. That's the new uh, last day of the regular season mm-hmm. tradition. Yeah. Will the Mets be in the playoffs for a playing game? Will they have the game at home, and who will they play in that scenario? I won't even get into whether they're winning, because who knows what's going to happen in the next seven days, Joe? That's going to be too much predicting, but can we predict those three things? Give, give me, you know, the old Christopher Mandog Russo gun to your head. What do you, what do you got for me? I think it's going to be one of those bittersweet moments because I think they're going to be in a playoff game, but I think they're going to have to go to San Francisco and face Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, that's um, a tough one. Yeah, and that's a tough one. It's he's shown in that, you know, we've seen in that playoff game where, where one pitcher can make the difference. Um, so, so my question back to you is: If that's the case, are you happy? You know, do you want to go play? Madison I will tell you, you know, John, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to throw one other thing in there, and you you beat me to it. I think what we've seen, win or lose, the, the you have a, basically a, a window of opportunity here, about four or five years for this this group, uh, you know, the core of the young pitchers, to do something, and they already made it to the World Series. But for the development of the the uh, I guess the culture of winning. I think it's important to to get into that game. I I think it would show a lot, and I think for some of these young kids, like a T.J. Rivera, like a Gavin Chatini, um, you know Conforto, to be around that and to be experiencing that and to achieve that in the face of what if you looked at this on on paper back at the beginning of the year, Joe, if I told you when we talked last time, I think it was May or early June, whenever it was, yeah. that this is who was being trotted out. I mean, this lineup today, you know what you would tell me? The Mets are playing out the string. That's what you would tell me, right? If I gave you the lineup at the at the beginning of uh, at the late May, early June. So I think, yeah, I think it is good enough. It's not it's not acceptable for where they were at the beginning of the year, and I still think they could have be a little bit better because they didn't. I think before the injuries they could have played better, but you know, be that as it may, yeah, I think getting into a playoff game, considering all things, is 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 a, is a success. I know that sounds loserish, but I I guess you have to take it, right? Well, no, of course. I mean, getting, you know, obviously winning is better than, than losing, and, and getting there is better than not. Um, I'm just saying it's going to be difficult either way for them. And um, I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's this this fight that they're on and, and this fight and claw nature of this whole run, um, no matter how far they get, that's always going to be uh, the nature of it because they, they should be the underdogs. So like you said, with all the players that they've lost, even in the middle of the year to lose your most productive, healthy bat in Neil Walker, who I didn't even mention. Um, right. You know, that enough is, is, is enough usually to cripple some teams, and uh, it hasn't been for them. So, yeah, obviously in a one-game playoff, you never know what can happen. And they can be Madison Bumgarner. I mean, he gave up a, a bunch of runs to the Padres last night. The Mets scored six off him, you know, in August or July or whenever they faced him um, against sure. DeGrom. Uh, yeah, so he's not. In, I mean, he's not infallible, but he is one of the best pitchers in baseball, and, and I do think that that veteran Giants team is gonna get their heads on straight at least enough to get into to crawl into that that wild card game. So I, I think it will be them, and I think that you know if the Mets get there, it'll actually be quite an achievement, and um, you know then then who knows what happens. So what do you got coming up? You said you were before we got on the air. You said you were doing some. Uh covering of the Yogi Berra Museum, um, anything you want to promote I, at Joe Trez on Twitter, obviously. What can the listeners uh, get from you over the final weeks of the regular season into the postseason? Yeah, well, the Yogi Berra stuff is cool. I know it's this is a Mets podcast, but um, and, and, but Yogi love wasn't baseball here. And, <laughs> yeah, so uh, there, I was at the um, the Yogi Berra Museum today in, in Little Falls, Montclair, New Jersey, um, where they kind of had a celebration for Yogi's life. It's been a little more than a year after he passed, so uh, you can find that on MLB.com now. Uh, right now, it's up. And then uh, this, you know, this next week we'll be following all the wild card races and the MVP races, um, which I think are fascinating this year, especially for Mets fans. Um, if you want to talk Daniel Murphy, 
later. You can you can give me a call. I have a lot to say about that. But. <laughs> he's enjoying. Listen, he's enjoying. They enjoyed that celebration down in Washington. Good, good for them. Look, that's what this is about. You can't get mad. I mean, they they set a goal in spring training. They wanted to avenge last year. Murphy feels spurned. He's like a, a lover spurned. I mean, look, wouldn't you want to show up your uh, your ex girlfriend or ex wife uh, like Murphy's kind of doing? He's treating the Mets like an ex girlfriend ex wife. So good for him. All I know is he maybe, became the best hitter in baseball guess. overnight. So yeah, um, it's, it's been incredible to watch. He's doing it, things that. It, have not been done really since since like uh, uh, besides Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, uh, Bonds and Pujols are the only guys to have done it. So um, some of his numbers are just are just mind boggling. Been nice to have him at third base. I know why. It's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on that. I mean, David Wright situation. <laughs> that's a whole. I mean, that's a whole different thing. But he can't play second base, man. And uh, you know, if he only could play a little defense, uh, he might still be here. But hey. Um, Joe, great stuff. I always enjoy having you on. Let's do it again and uh, be well. And I appreciate you being a friend of the program and uh, spending so much time with us on a Sunday night. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, yeah whenever you want. Joe Trezza, MLB.com, at Joe Trez on uh, Twitter. Let's take a quick break. When I return, just some final thoughts, give you an idea what I'm thinking of doing with the podcast as we head to the postseason. And uh, we'll put a little bow on this. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Will be. And Joseph pulls one down to third. Reyes goes to the bag. Fires to first. Double play. Side retired. Engine gets the ground ball. Reyes with a double play. 5 5 3. And the Phillies are turned aside at the top of the seventh. Final thoughts here, Talking Mets podcast. So here's what I'm going to do. So if if you're listening to the show and you're a fan of the program, you guys usually know every Sunday, this thing usually comes out around 9 o'clock. That's usually when I try to get this thing all, you know, put put through, recorded, cleaned up. Sometimes moving people around for interviews is always tricky. Next week, who knows, this might come down to next Sunday. But 3 o'clock next Sunday is when everybody starts their game. So you figure the games will be over 6.30, 7 o'clock. Might be a little bit later, but I am not going to come on the air next Sunday unless the thing is over and the Mets have, have – they know who their opponent is. Everything has to be done. They have to know their opponent, the home field. All that has to be wrapped up in a bow because I want to be able to have a complete show, the freshest content possible. So if that's the case, it'll be early in the day. If it's clinched, I'll probably do something early on Sunday, and that'll be the end of it. If if it's not later in the Sunday after all the games, so just keep an eye out for that. Then as far as the postseason, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll do some things like in in buckets where after the first, let's say the Mets get into the wild card game, we'll do some kind of after the wild card game, maybe the day after recap or some kind of situation. Then if they get into an NLDS situation, maybe in between uh, games two and three, it'll be kind of like every couple of games we'll do a recap. Uh, I got to figure that out. I'll, I'll think about what the best possible thing is. I don't want to just do Sunday shows during the postseason because that's where the, the the content will go stale, and then that's not worth it to any of you guys. So just keep an eye out. Continue to go to MetsmerizedOnline.com, and uh, I promise you, I think you're going to find a lot of interesting things on this program. I think we've had a really fun year. It's down to the final week. Didn't know where this was going to go, and uh, I've been humbled by the response by the downloads, the streams, by the comments, even the good, even the bad ones, the good ones, the bad ones, everything. And um, there's a lot more fun ahead, and, and I think we could do something really fun and continue to develop this program and be a big part of the MetsmerizedOnline.com community. We're out of time, but I want to thank Joe Trezza. Check out Joe on Twitter, at Joe Trez, and also his work at MLB.com. Of course, I want to thank all of you guys. Check out the show at MetsmerizedOnline.com all the time and on iTunes as well as SoundCloud and any other podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. See you next week.